Um, so then I went to my dad because I wanted, you know, and I, I adore my dad. But anyhow, on this occasion, you know, I told him what had happened. And he basically said, like, you know, you need to examine your life to see where you could have get, given Satan a foothold. Yeah. What was the um, sin that you committed that allowed that demon to come into your life, Jen? Exactly. And do you know what? Do you know what the Lord revealed to me <laughs> is that oh, no. I had not been properly honoring my mother and father. Now I know it was just my own psyche ruffling, you know, rummaging through my brain, trying to come up with something that could have caused this. I apologize. I was crying. I'm sorry for not being a faithful daughter. Like I just self-flagellated. Cause we're adventurers in heartbreaks. This is Cumin. This is Caleb. Welcome to Life Unwasted, a podcast where we look into our past to discover our present. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I was on a Facebook forum. Um, for those of you that don't know, there there's quite a few online communities for missionary kids. Um, so I was on a missionary kids solidarity um, Facebook post. Um, some of it's ranting and raving, but a lot of it is just supporting each other uh, through the transition home and all the things that come up for the rest of your life where you you really just have to ask the question sometimes, is this a normal thing that I'm going through? Is this a missionary kid thing going through? Is this a home culture thing that I'm going through? Is this something that I picked up overseas? You know, it can be a bit confusing, but sometimes you can tease those things out uh, and get a clearer picture of maybe what's normal for us and and what's uh, maybe a little bit um, maybe a little bit different for other people. And so, I highly encourage you guys uh, to look for those communities online. Find one that makes sense for you, um, and uh, connect with other MKs because it's an important part of the journey. So. Um, uh, Without further ado, I want to introduce uh, Jen. Uh, Jen is a uh, Argentine MK, uh, and uh, you're our first Argentine MK. We interviewed Claire last season. She was living in Argentina, but she was a, a Philippine MK living in Argentina with her uh, with her husband. So, uh, Claire, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Oh, not Claire, and, Jen. Oh, yeah. Jen. That's okay. Oh, geez. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, no I just problem. got in from the airport and we're, we all were just talking about how exhausted we were. Um, so my, my brain's working a little bit slowly, but Jen, go ahead and introduce yourself. Give us the, the cliff notes of where you were and um, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Argentina. We were in Buenos Aires. Um, we moved there in 93. So I would have been in third grade and then I stayed till I graduated high school. Um, and we had, we started support raising when I was like five. So we were doing a lot of traveling, you know, um, before then we lived in our denominations, missionary residence in Indiana for about two years while we raised support, spent a year in Texas for my parents to go to language school. Um, and we would cross the border every Sunday to go minister Mm. to the Mexican Catholics. 
Um, and then we moved to Argentina when I was nine. Um, I went to, I went to exclusively Argentine schools. So that's, I think, a big difference with most of the MKs that you've had on so far. Um, so all of my schooling from third through 12th grade was done in Spanish. Um, oh. yeah, so we spoke English at yeah. home, but the rest of our lives was basically all in Spanish. I played sports, um, which was kind of my saving grace because mm. I was not a cool kid. <laughs> um, I remember when, when I first, when we first moved down and I started third grade, I had a bunch of friends for about 30 minutes until another MK who was in my class told the kids that I, when I said we're millionaires, I meant we're missionaries. And oh. then everyone stopped being. Oh. <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. That was a oh, rough that one. Is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jen, before, before we go into further conversation which i've i'm going to find fascinating of course you sent us some exquisite writing uh, through our messages and i wondered if you could maybe share one or two poems read read one or two of them i think our listeners would appreciate the depth of your poems as thank we did you. that is you- that is very kind yeah, if you have them ready to go, yeah. Yeah, if you have um, them ready yeah. to go. I, I had yeah. one picked out that I thought I could Oh, let's read do that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, diving right And it's one I haven't sent you yet, so. Oh, um, okay, okay. It's called I Didn't Know. I didn't know. You can't know what you don't know, and I didn't know. I didn't know I have a knack for decorating. I didn't know that I need art as much as I need air. I didn't know that I could get through a darkness so dark I forgot light ever existed. I didn't know I could have multiple orgasms or that I could make good decisions. I didn't know that I could raise the kids and keep up with the dishes. Okay, that one's bullshit, but my point is, I didn't know that I love picking figs or that life could fulfill, I didn't know that I could actually own plants and only kill a very small number of them. I didn't know that I'm a good friend, that I thrive on structure, that I adore not sharing the bed. I didn't know. And I shudder to think of living an entire lifetime, never knowing who I really am. Wow. That was incredible. That is such a life unwasted yeah like every like figuring out who you for who your full self is and finding your power Mm. as a person is like the essence of this show why why did you pick that poem um well for one it's one that i hadn't sent you guys yet so it would be new i felt a little bit bad flooding you guys with so many um but it really it really just felt like you know, yeah, we've all been through shit, right? I'm healing from a ton of shit. I'm deconverted now. I'm full heathen. Um, but I'm also so fucking happy. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and you know, life is still hard. And I still have, like, severe depression and anxiety. But look at all of these things that I never would have known about myself, ever. Had I mm. not start, dared to, like, ask questions and step out of line. Um, I hadn't read it in a while and I like got a little teared up just now. Yeah. 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 So let's go back to that weird, awkward millionaire MK mm. that just had all of her oh. friends 
that she thought she had walk, you know, like, like, you know, bring that back into the present <laughs> and let's keep going down that journey, you know, and, okay. and connect it back to where you are now in this like phase of discovery in your life. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I haven't thought about it in these terms and I am an external processor, so this is perfect, but I'm realizing right now, like that was kind of the foreshadowing of what my next 10 years in Argentina would be, you know? And, and I now know I, you know, I was diagnosed as ADHD a couple of years ago. Um, I now know I'm autistic. I'm queer. Like I never, ever fit in anywhere, never belonged anywhere. So it was that. Um, and I, I honestly, I think that millionaire missionary thing was a really good example of how the rest of my life would go. You know, like no matter how hard you try, you just, and I made some great friends and I had beautiful experiences there. Um, but it definitely, and now that I understand what religious trauma is, and um, I mean, there were a lot of very traumatic experiences that I went through there as well. So looking at it through the lenses of who I am today, um, yeah, I kind of just want to like old baby Jen, you know, and be mm -hmm. like, okay, you know, like read her this poem, maybe without the orgasm part. Um, <laughs> and, and just Isn't be that like, the most important part. <laughs> I mean, it's no. really fucking important. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I love like, you guys. This episode, what would I'm you sure. say? Normally we, we get to this way later in an episode and I still like, yeah. I want to finish the, the biography of Jen, mm -hmm. but like when you think of that, mm -hmm. that kid that just spent all that time raising support, just landed on the mission field, you said you wanted to hold her. What, what would you tell her? I don't know that I would say much because I, I don't know that words always mean a whole lot in that situation. It feels kind of just like placating, you know, I think I might mm. just hold her and sit with mm. her and like, I don't know. My feelings have always, I have always been too much too, but, too, but you know, big feelings, um, just a deep, deep, deeply emotional person. Um, and I don't think words would have meant as much as someone just sitting with me and holding me and letting me know through that, like sacred silence that it was mm. okay to be me just as I was. Mm -hmm. I like that term sacred silence. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. And as, you know, wordy as I can be. It's interesting that that's the first thing that came to me, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think I, I just, I, as, as far back as I can remember, all I've ever wanted is to be known and seen and loved anyway. Like, yeah, I have very young memories. All I've wanted is to be like cherished for who I am. Mm. Mm. And I have only had that experience very recently <laughs> at almost 40. It's, mm. it, it sounds like like many of us, you spent a lot of time just masking, you know, like, oh, yes, needing to in, in masking if you're if you don't know. And, and that is a term that it comes up a lot with neurodivergence, but it's something that we that we all do, you know, walking into a room and kind of pretending to be the person that you think people want you to be instead of being yourself. And, mm -hmm. and 
So let's continue on. Give us the finish our biography, the biography of Jen, um, so that we can at least get like time and place and all that kind of stuff. Uh, were you in Argentina the whole time? Um, yeah, and we would come back. Uh, we didn't call it furlough because furlough involves a rest. And our mission was very clear that there would be no rest. So we called it oh, home wow. ministries, <laughs> which anyhow, ridiculous. But we would only come uh, like once. We would come for a summer every three years. Um, so I never did school in the States. Going to college my freshman year was my first experience in education in English since second grade. Wow. Um, besides English class in Argentina, which was their foreign language. And consequently, my worst grade because I hated it. Mm. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so I was in Argentina the whole 10 years, basically, um, and would spend maybe three or four summers over the course of that time in the States. Hmm. And That's then when a... did you come back? When did you come back for college? Yeah, so <clears throat> I let's see, I graduated high school down there in December of 2002, mm -hmm. and I actually waited um this is a very weird part of my life that sometimes doesn't seem real. Um, I went from there to the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, New York, where I played on the U.S. women's team handball team. Um, what? For like national. Yes. You were a national player for the U.S. national team. I was. And I'm not going to downplay that. But you the shouldn't. US is not, well, the, the U.S. is not known for their team handball. Doesn't you know, matter. And I, I, I'm guessing it's fairly maybe <laughs> big in the Philippines because it's not like squash. It's not like you bash a ball against a wall. Do yeah. you guys know what I'm talking about when I say team handball or no? I do. I do. Because Korea okay. is huge. amazing. Oh, my gosh. I love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Korea is a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were like, you know, the U.S. recruited like basketball players, like good athletes and mm -hmm. sort of taught them handball. But I grew up playing handball in Argentina. So um, that is a very strange part of my story so i did that until we went to the pan-american games in um santa domingo in 2003 and that was to qualify for athens um which we did not but we came two games mm -hmm. away from qualifying for the olympics so that is mm. you know that's, that's my incredible. weird little claim to fame <laughs> wow wow and then That's I started wild. college in the fall of 2003. And where At did you Grace go to college? college? I went to Grace oh. College in Winona Lake, Indiana. It is our denominations college. Okay. Yes. I'll I'll ask you if you know some folks later. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few faith. I'm, I'm sure you ran into some. I'm faith guessing Academy I do. Folks. Well, I'm positive I met some people. You guys know. Like. Okay. We're not naming names. Remember. Oh shit. Yeah. That's fine. Um, it's okay. I wasn't even going to say anything that bad. Mad but... editing skills. <laughs> It's okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's um, fine. Yeah, but there's a lot of faith academy. A lot of MKs went to to that 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 Bible yes. college. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, transitioning though, so you've got all of this. So it, and I want to ask Cumin, um, because both you and Cumin at almost the same age had to jump into a school in a completely different language. And for yes. Cumin, it was a Western school, right? Um but uh, what was it like jumping back into the U.S. education system? Um, 
pretty horrifying. And and I honestly mm. not so much not so much because of the education, but just the culture shock that no one realizes is culture shock because well I I you know, look American and I speak perfect English. Um my first couple years of college everyone called me a state hater. So I was going oh. through some things. I just I hated everything about the US. Just I like I hated the United States. Oh. Um yeah. So I was like, well, this is wrong. You know, I was just, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I had no, and I was coming off. Like my time in New York was extremely difficult. Um, yeah. And so like I had just gone from lose, like I lost my entire support system, moved even, I mean, I left, I left there January 1st, 2003. It was like a hundred degrees in Buenos Aires. And I landed in fucking Lake Placid and it was like 20 below. Oh my God. So like. Just in 24 hours, I changed 120 degrees. And yeah, it was, that's just the temperature. <laughs> but wow. um, so I was coming off a very difficult year of playing handball, living, eating, breathing mm-hmm. handball, jumping into school. I did great in school, um, which is like, you know, kind of an ADHD thing, like cram, ace it, and then have no idea what anything was that I learned. Um yeah. Which is fine regarding all the Bible classes. <laughs> mm. Um I don't know if I answered your question. No, I, I get what you mean. I experienced uh culture shock twice coming uh-huh. to the Philippines and then going back to Korea in my college year. So I did up to second grade elementary in Korean, but then I went to fifth academy from third grade onwards till wow. I graduated in the high school. And then I went back to Korea for my uh, college years, back and forth. I, I do get what you mean when people see you as Korean, but you don't speak the language that well. And right. And it's all reverse culture shock. And I'm there, I'm mouthing off what's bad about Korean culture. And then they look <laughs> at me and say, hey, you're Korean too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So I, I think I, think I kind of get a hint. Yes of what you're saying yeah it's i mean it's extremely difficult and you don't have anyone to process with yeah you know and and there were other mks and there were even mks that i knew like that were good friends from argentina so that did help um Mm -hmm. but we're still we're like what 18 19 20 like it's not like we have the years of therapy we now have under our belts and understand and have the language to express what we're going through Mm. um we're just kind of you know flying by the seat of our pants yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and no one's there to tell you that not everything's fine (laughs) right (laughs) yes (laughs) yes yeah yeah you know it's there's different mk reactions to coming back um so you know for me um, in, in a very different way than, than you guys, you know, I, I needed people to know that I was different. You know, I needed people to know that, um, well, in, in part of it is nine 11, it just happened, you know, the first like two weeks of school, nine 11 happened. And, um, you know, I immediately felt a huge culture separation fr- from me, uh, and everybody else, you know, they mm-hmm. had no context for what this was. And, um, you know, growing up in the Philippines, terrorism and, and scary things is just something that kind of happened. And, right. and so, 
you know, the things that they were saying, I just, I, I thought, well, isn't, isn't this a Christian school? You guys are talking about beheading people, you know, in retaliation. <laughs> I was like, oh goodness. Um, the, like I, it just, it was, it was a culture shock. Um, but I needed people to know that, that I was different than them in other MKs. They just shut it down. They never talk about it. And uh, they just, they just ask, you know, and then 20 yeah. years later, they wonder why they're, you know, also depressed. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Was it, was it somewhat you wanted them to know you were different? Cause I had this too. And for mm-hmm. me, it was also, I wanted them to know that I was also a little bit better than them. You know, oh, no, I wanted like, not really. I wanted them to know that I was a lot better than them. Oh, um, okay. Perfect. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, <nothing. laughs> but, but there was a sense of yeah. superiority, which I think honestly yeah. goes hand in hand with mission work because yeah, it's basically colonization. And we yeah. do have this sense that like, oh, look at us, you know, look at what we've done. At least I did. Maybe I'll, I should just speak in the first person. Um, I don't know. I maybe. I think there was a little bit of um, I was trying to I was just so insecure and trying to find myself and I felt so lost mm-hmm. that I was trying to find my identity and um, there were certain things that I was proud of. And, you know, when people would talk about things, man, you know what, <laughs> like I'd always have a story that would just silence everybody in the room because, you know, I'd seen some weird shit <laughs> and yes. people yes. would look at me like people still you know people like i can't believe that's a true story you're making that up you know but then you but then you tell them on here and we laugh about it yeah right (laughs) yes trauma bonding or something yeah right (laughs) tell us about uh what it was like living in argentina argentina is a, a, a country that i don't know a ton about other than um uh, you know, a lot of wars, civil wars, and and things like that. Uh, but a beautiful country with um, uh, amazing wine coming out of it. I don't know, like, what was it like growing up in the '90s in Argentina? Um, yeah, I I grew up in Buenos Aires, so I wasn't in the actual capital, but I was like counted and part of what Greater Buenos Aires is, you know. So I was one of the 14 million. Um you know, people, you, you tell people you're a missionary and they think you're always in the jungle. Um, so we lived in a big city. Um, goodness, that's a great question. You'd think I would have thought about this question. Um, first of all, it felt normal. I was nine when we moved there. So it was a few months of culture shock. And, um, my brother and I did, we adjusted very quickly linguistically, um, which I would then go on to learn that I have, uh, pretty easy time acquiring languages. Um, but by the end of, we jumped into the middle of like third grade and fifth grade. And by the end of the year, we were like top of our classes. Um, so I think, I think that and sports for us helped us to not be completely outsiders. Um, but besides that, I mean, there was like, there was a lot of crime, like a lot of my memories, um, revolve around, you know, being robbed, (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, trying not to be robbed, you know. Uh, what does being robbed mean? Like being mugged, robbed. Yeah. What is that? Is that oh. like? There's a big difference so, between getting like like. Are we talking pickpocket or are we talking like? Let's see. So one of one of my, I guess the earliest memory I have of someone trying to rob us. I was 10. So we had been there like a year. My brother and I, there was a factory by our house that we would go running around. So we were running and these two guys came up and they had this like 
big long fierro, like a big long like iron rod or something. And they were like, hey, you know, give me your money. And I was super blonde back then. So they're calling me like the Spanish word for blonde and get over here. And, you know, one of them grabbed me and my brother like pulled me behind him. And um, we never we also never talked about our traumatic experiences after that. So he told me to run and I ran home and he was like, we don't have anything. And I don't really know how he got out of it because we didn't talk about it. Um, but that was a very early experience that kind so of made are, me. You are right. This is robbery. Oh, totally. Yes. Wow. Um, and I don't also don't want to paint Argentina as like all it is yeah. is crime. You know, no. um, yeah. I had I had high, elementary and middle school were very tough. And I went to a different school for high school and I'm still in touch with my high school friends. And I was the mm. weird Christian girl, you know what I mean? And they mm -hmm. were just great. There was a Jehovah's witness in my class. Um, you know, I was so, so, so it was just super accepting and they were all, you know, no, no other MKs, just good people. Oh, okay. So-and-so mm -hmm. doesn't celebrate birthdays. We won't invite her to this. Let's do this instead. Jen doesn't drink. Okay, cool. Have some Coke. Um, so my high school years were like the best schooling years of my life. Mm -hmm. um, great teachers. Great. I mean, it was a very, very small school also, but great friends that, yeah, 20 years later, I'm still fairly close with a few of them. Um, yeah. And then church was a whole chunk of it. Youth group and camp and, and I have great memories. Um, of a lot of that. And it's, gosh, it's just, it's so knowing what I know now about missionary work, you know, that's something that I'm wrestling with now is I, I didn't understand what was happening, but I absolutely view white evangelical mission work. It, it's colonization. You know, we moved to a different country and we learned their language to like slowly trick people into believing what we believe Catholics, like Catholics didn't have <laughs> other Christians, right. other Christians. And we just right. talked about them like so derogatorily. I don't know if that's an adverb, but it is now, um, mm. you know, Oh, they're living in such darkness and Oh, you know, this and that. And who I'm, yeah. I'm, I am personally very much against missions at this point in my life. Um, so just realizing, you know, I am who I am because of, you know, I spent the most formative years of my childhood in Argentina. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I am a polyglot now because of that. Um, but I all, but I, I need to acknowledge too that all of this is because of basically white supremacy. And it's gross when mm -hmm. you say it like that, but we thought we had the answers. <laughs> we thought they were lost. And we went to like coerce them <laughs> into converting to the better Christianity, the real Christianity. Um, when you so think of that been... that time period, when you think of that that like th those high school years, like what what's a what's a story that comes up for you or a memory that comes up for you that you're still processing? Like, get specific. Uh huh. Um. So there was a time that we were at um, summer camp is this gorgeous place in the like uh, in Cordoba province, like in the interior rolling Hills, just beautiful. Like I would love to take my kids there someday and just 
like play for like a month. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So we would go to this youth group camp and um, my dad was the speaker that year. So my parents were there. And one night I had what I now understand to be sleep paralysis, but I was 100% convinced that a demon had grabbed me at night. Oh. Like I was, I mean, it was this terrifying, it's pitch black. There's like no electricity, right? Until the generators turned on. Um, so I'm, you know, I don't know, 17, terrified, terrified. I just remember like shrinking into my sleeping bag. Like as soon as I, cause I couldn't move, you know, as soon as I could drinking into my sleeping bag and just saying over and over Jesus name above all names, Jesus name above mm. all names, just over and over because that was supposed to, you know, the, the, the devil cowers at the name of Jesus. Um, so then the next day, you know, I didn't sleep at all the rest of the night. And I was telling some friends and it kind of became this joke. Oh, the boogeyman visited Jen, you know, and just like, you know, you don't get it. Like this was, I mean, it was horribly traumatic for me. Um, so then I went to my dad cause I wanted, you know, and I, I adore my dad, love him to bits. We see a lot of things differently, but, um, but anyhow, on this occasion, <laughs> You know, I told him what had happened and he basically said, like, you know, you need to examine your life to see where you could have get, given Satan a foothold. Yeah. What was the um, sin that you committed that allowed that demon to come into your life, Jen? Exactly. And do you know what do you know what the Lord revealed to me <laughs> is that oh, no. I had not been properly honoring my mother and father. Uh-huh. And and so in in all of this. Right. Like I now understand, like I can I can go nonverbal sometimes where I just literally lose the ability to put words together. Um, Well, that used to be seen as rebellion and like giving my parents the silent treatment. So, and and there's this whole dynamic, right? That was just difficult. I always felt misunderstood. Um, And so, and so looking, you know, and, and of course, now I know it was just my own psyche ruffling, you know, rummaging through my brain, trying to come up with something that could have caused this. And, you know, and then I just started, basically, I came to them, I went to them, I apologized. I was crying. I'm sorry for not being a faithful daughter. Like I just self-flagellated with that light. And, and it, 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 first of all, none of it was my fault. But second of all, when there's a big rift between parents and child, it's generally not the child's fault, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been, I've had a lot of traumatic memories come up <laughs> lately. Um, mm. So that is one of yeah. them. Um, but I'm definitely in a big, like, I just kind of feel like, you know, this, this volcano of trauma, just memory mm. after memory has been coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what, what else has been coming up? What's a, what's another, um, memory that you're just kind of processing because that happens to me too i get something comes up and i just kind of get in a loop Mm -hmm. um i mean i have a couple honestly like i could come up with like 10 right now yeah but i'll i'll um so another one does revolve around (laughs) around robbery um i was 15 um oh let's see i'm gonna try to make this very short Basically, so my brother went to school in the afternoon at that point. He was 17. Um, it was winter, so it was dark out. And I was getting ready for school. My mom went out to take the, we would take the trash out every day. So she went out to take that. 
and I heard a scream. And the next thing I knew this like much taller man than my mom and I with a ski mask on was like holding her from behind with a gun to her head. Um, anyhow, like I still, like my heart still pounds. I really need a good EMDR therapist. Honestly, if anyone is listening, go find an EMDR therapist. (laughs) Um, and so, I mean, I just, I just remember, like, I remember being able to scream because she had already screamed and I don't Mm. think I would have been able to like do anything. I mean, I was just like frozen. So at some point she fell to the ground. I was closer into the living room. And so this man with a ski mask just like extended his arm, like pointed the gun right in my face. Um, And then at the time I attributed it to angels protecting us, but he got startled or scared or something ran off. I was the only one that actually saw him because he had my mom from behind. My dad was sleeping. My brother was sleeping. Um, So then while, while, because I saw him run off and I couldn't really talk yet. So we like locked the door. My mom was running through the house looking for him. Um, Now, the only part of the story we ever talked about again was when she ran into my brother's room and was like, are you okay? Is the robber in here? And my brother said, a robber. Oh, I thought you were screaming about a cockroach. Um, oh my God. So, which is funny, which is legitimately funny. And I'm like, you need to learn. You should not laugh, Caleb. But oh my, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, this is a horrifying wow. story. Oh but no, yeah, it can, is a horrifying story. But 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 that was uh, like a punchline. It's a oh, punchline no, it because absolutely. your your family doesn't talk about yeah. everything else, but, but they will this... talk about. The, the cockroach yeah. bit. So Ooh, it is a it is a funny it's a funny family story is what it is. I went to school that right. day. You know, I I immediately you went, went to, school to school that day. Went to school. We never. It was, gosh. And you just packed probably, it down. You just shoved the the trauma. De- yeah. You never. But I was. It. I mean, I was terrified for honestly years. Like we had my like adopted grandma, uh, Argentine grandma, lived half a block away across the street you know, and like half a block down, Anita. Um, mm-hmm. And I used to walk to her house just all the time. And I couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere at night by myself. I couldn't even walk one minute to Anna's house by myself at night. Cause we later realized like he had been watching us from outside. There were like footprints outside. It was just like, he had been watching us inside yeah. our home, waiting for someone to come out. Um, I couldn't walk by a window at night for months. Um, mm. I am just now starting to be able to sleep with the window open. Mm. And we never talked about it. It's only a funny family story. Uh, you know, no space for like, and and perfect love casts out fear, right? So, well, just oh pray. My God. Just pray about it. Yeah, that's the solution. Yeah, it, that's, totally. That's a spiritual bypass right there. If I've ever heard one. You know, before you said um, you just want your parent, you just wanted your parents to see you. I think that's how you said it. Or you just wanted to be seen. And, you know, I, I, if you guys can't talk about, especially immediately right after it happened, the fact that someone had a gun to your mom's head and then pointed it at you, you just shove that down into the 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 depths of your soul and, and move on, you know, like how could you ever have a real conversation with your parents? Well, exactly. And, and what's, I mean, yeah, not speaking is, is the, is the underlying theme to my family. Um, I, I remember also, gosh, this was probably after 
But I remember being 15 also and reading Brio magazine for Focus on the Family. But they had this little article on depression. And I remember reading it and crying and just being like, oh. So like I gather this courage to go talk to my parents. And it took me hours, you know. And the TV was always on in our house just so no one had to talk. Um, So I went out and I asked if they could turn the TV off, if we could talk. And I basically said, like, you know, I, I think I might be really depressed. And they basically said back, oh, no, you're not, honey. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, okay, well, no, I'm not. Um, and I can really pinpoint that as, like, the end of trying. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I had more courage than they had ever had to go out and bear my soul like that. And Mm. I remember a pat, you know, how some conversations you remember verbatim and some you remember Mm -hmm. the experience. So I can't quote them, but I remember a pat on the knee, something about being a good student and good athlete. And it was just basically, um, no, you're not. What do you have to be depressed about? Um, yeah. So then, um, I was just debating whether to tell this, but. When I was 17, um, I was sexually assaulted in my home by a supposed massage therapist. Um, Oh, no. And Mm. I did not tell them about it until I was like 34. Mm -hmm. Because you know what I mean? By then I knew what's... um, So... Gosh, I'm making my life yeah. sound so bleak, you guys. Well, no, well, no, no. So it's the, the good and is, the bad. No, it's yeah. We we went why. into a trauma hole, but I well, promise. No, it's okay. And, it's okay. And I heard you earlier say Argentina is an amazing country, and you had amazing yes. friends. And this isn't, but this is as an MK, you were mm-hmm. asked and expected, oftentimes, to endure these awful things and mm-hmm. then just not be a bother. Don't be a bother. Mm-hmm. Because that yeah. will distract from our work and our ministry and us converting Christians to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't rock the boat. You know, and like with, you know, they they say that like we all fill this unspoken role in our family, mm-hmm. right? Um, and mine was, and now, and now I know I am a born fucking boat rocker. Like I see mm-hmm. something, I'm gonna speak the fuck up. I'm gonna get loud. So mm. I was this huge beautiful person and my role was to not rock the boat mm-hmm. you know i just buried myself as deep as i could um so this poem is about and i wrote this three years ago i could write a new poem about things i didn't know about myself every fucking month mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like it's just this this was oh the things i've learned about myself since then like it's absolutely mind-blowing and it Mm. really is like tragic to think that i never would know this yeah um how full and beautiful life can be and like even learning to hold the tension you know to hold the pain with the joy Mm -hmm. um everything's so black and white and in the christianity i was raised in um well it's the hardest the hardest part of pulling all this stuff out is trying to figure out what to do with it when you do. And what we were taught to do is 
Well, I, okay, I'm going to speak for myself. What I was taught to do is just invoke the name of Jesus and is a mantra, you know, and I had the sleep paralysis demon too. And, oh. um, you know, and it was like, actually a lot of that had to do with depression, anxiety, PTSD. And, um, you know, my body was trying to tell me something and yeah. because I wasn't allowed to talk about it, I didn't, I never learned what to do with it. And that's where therapy can really, really, um, you know, a good therapist can help you really process that stuff as it comes up. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a word here, uh, listeners, therapy and Christianity are not at odds with each other. Oh, correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and let's do our spiel human about, we have a whole variety of guests coming on the show. Some are Christian, some are not Christian. And, you know, we, at the end of the day, people are going to come on and talk about what they're, what they want to. And this is a space for everybody, but the, you know, this is Jen's real experience. Mm -hmm. And I hope everyone that's listening just listens to Jen's perspective and her experience and just understand that, like this is true, you know, and and we're gonna respect everybody that comes on this show. Mm. Sorry, I, we say that every every episode. No, I think that's fantastic, and I love that you guys have. I think it's a pretty exceptional space that you've created. Um, I'm not exactly a podcast connoisseur, but I haven't seen a space like this that is willing to embrace, you know, MKs from any walk of life. Um, and I think it's so important to just have a place to be free to speak and free to be mm -hmm. so awesome. Yeah. Job. The thing, it's the thing that we've been circling around this. It's the thing we didn't get, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we respect who you are and we respect where you've been. Jen, your story is as real as fuck as anything can be. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and and then I, I just look at, gosh, I look at how women and, and, you know, people who are assigned female at birth are raised within these evangelical cultures. Um, you know, I was raised to never rock the boat. I was raised to never speak up when I was harmed. Um, I mean, we're really groomed from infancy to like our suffering is pleasing to God, right? Um, were created to be a help me, like all of these things. Um, I knew by the age of five to never, ever, ever say the D word if I was married. The D word is divorce. Oh, okay. So I knew, <laughs> I knew that because because if you say it, like you, a married person couldn't utter that word because once you say divorce, it, it's on the table and it can mm. never, ever be off the table. So all of these, all of these instances of pain and trauma in my childhood, where I just, I have a poem called Silent Box, where I just kind of like stuff this trauma into my silent box, right? Until it kind of explodes mm -hmm. one day. Um, but that that's what I was taught. And, and lo and behold, I grow up and I marry an abusive man. Because that is literally... Yeah what I was groomed for um yeah. and and it's it's all connected you know I didn't think I had a voice I didn't think I had value um you know when my religion told me I was like desperately wicked and not to be trusted um well that's kind of what I started to think of myself 
Mm -hmm. And it's your job to cover up and cover your body because uh, you can't have men stumble around you. And that would be your fault, right? Can't if, have that. if that Absolutely. were to happen. Yeah. Yep. I, I do. I want to ask you the question um, to bring everything we've been talking about, all, all the experiences um, that you've just talked about now into the present as a parent. But I want to say, just as an aside, one of my major issues with, with missions uh, as they exist, as you know, for me growing up, um, and I know I've, I've heard people say, oh, it's not this way anymore with missions. I'm, 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 um, it is, yeah. <laughs> which is like, um, what was the crisis line you would have called when you were a kid? I mean, an employer that employs your parents sent you overseas with their kid and there's no social worker checking on you. There's no, I mean, it, it's so wildly irresponsible to me uh -huh. as someone who works in with adjudicated youth and transitional youth. And I run a lot of youth programs and like, there's always oversight to ensure child safety. And back then there was none. Who would you have even talked to, to let them know something had happened to you outside of your parents or outside of Probably. the mission who would have covered it up? Yeah, I, there there was no outlet for that. And and not just like, oh, who can I call? But calling someone wouldn't have even been a thought because that's just yeah. not how things worked. That's not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. I I rarely do this, but mission agencies listen up. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't set something up for your missionaries out where you need to wake up. And, yeah. and yet they continually act surprised that abuse happens when they have prepared fertile ground for it to happen. And then when it does happen, they want to cover it up because it's embarrassing. Why? Because they were negligent in how they sure. approached child safety. So right. now well, and you look, parent, you look at how oh. common it is stateside mm -hmm. and yeah. think of how exponentially more common exponentially. it's going to be in yeah. unregulated territory. Where there is, like you said, there's no one, there's no, no supervision. Um, and emotional abuse, sexual assault, physical assault, all of those things. Um, so many MKs now, even now, uh, I, I'm in a couple of, um, you know, support groups and things like that. And uh, some of my friends are even now realizing, oh, man, I've been covering up for my parents for decades. Mm -hmm. I've been, yeah. I've been still protecting their reputation and these violent things happened to me that my parents did. You know? yeah. And yeah. I know that's not everyone's parent and that's not everyone's experience, but it's just a crapshoot. And, you know, there should always be systems in place for child protection. Um, um, it, it, when you're sending people halfway across the, the earth. Right. Um, so as a parent now, Jen, when you think about those, so the, these experiences that we've talked about, um, how do you approach parenting or pull, pull that into the present? And what do you think about it now? Yeah. I mean, honestly, for one, I don't really, I mean, the whole concept of like being the authority, um, I don't even use the word obey. I don't like that whole line of thought and philosophy of like, I am to me, like I have two daughters. Um, they're with me 80% of the time. Um, so there's three people in our family and like, I fuck up a lot and they know that they can come and tell me 
when, you know, maybe, um, and I don't, I just don't do punishments like that. I just think I'm still figuring shit out and I'm almost 40. Like they are children. Their brains are not even like close to fully developed. Um, let's like lead with love and gentleness and, you know, let them know mistakes are okay. And that's how we learn. And perfection is, a, you know, it's, it's unrealistic. Um, so I really see it as there's three of us. Of course, there are times I am the responsible person. You know, I feed them and I make sure that they stay safe, but I do it in, in a loving environment, you know, um, where there isn't, I don't believe in talking back. Like talking back is not a thing. It's just talking. <laughs> it's just using their voice. And sometimes it sucks to have two children that you have taught to use their voice and then they fucking use it on you and you're like, well, damn it. Um, <laughs> but good, good. Yes, keep doing that, mm -hmm. but just give me a break. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have two girls. I have an 11 and a nine-year-old who I just hit my desk, um, who absolutely know how to speak up for themselves and they know what they're worth and they can tell me when I hurt their feelings and they can tell me when you know, they're scared about something or they're confused. We've talked a ton about religion. Um, so yeah, my, I guess my parenting philosophy is treat my kids like humans hmm. and respect them and don't demand respect I haven't earned. Hmm. Early on in season one, Cumin, you said um, that you expect nothing from your kids. Not mm -hmm. that you don't expect anything, you know, it, and I remember when Cumin said that I started crying on the podcast. I mean, we, we do this with cameras off and, you know, no one could see me crying, but, um, I had never felt that. Mm -hmm. And I just, Cumin, that was such a powerful thing that you said, like, um, and I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this, Jen, other than, um, you know, I, I, I relate to that. I know it's a different experience, but I think um, just being seen for who you are is such a relatable experience. Absolutely. I like what you said about there's no talking back. It's just talking. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's so um, the irony is that we take that talking back experience and live it in our workplace as well. I, mm -hmm. Bosses are like, don't talk back to me. And I hear this line also often on TV series and movies. I'm like, you are two grown adults. What do you mean mm -hmm. talk back? Unless you're a mobster or a gangster and right. you're trying to rule with an iron fist. Right. I mean, every unsafe system is going to instruct you to not challenge authority. Yeah. And if you are ever instructed to not challenge authority, get the hell out. Yeah. And it's not always safe, obviously. And there's, you know, we can't afford to lose our jobs. And sometimes you can't get out of a difficult, you know, toxic relationship. But question it, like learning that it was okay to ask questions mm -hmm. is what fucking saved me. I'm still, I guess I've said this, but I'm an ordained minister. Uh, did I say that on the podcast? 
Oh, yeah, I don't not know. in a while. I think I think a lot of folks would be surprised to hear you say that. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, what the fuck? I, I'm usually the one. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm usually the one bragging about being agnostic, and right, you, right, you remain right, quiet. Right. But that is. It's, I think it's that's season important. four already. It's, it's season, season four already. It's yeah. let it go. Uh, I I have to come out sometime or later, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. But there are times that I've said multiple times on the pulpit, I've said that if God needs protection, it's not God. Oh yeah. Yeah. So who right. are you trying to protect? If truth needs protection, it's not truth. Mm-hmm. And and I, I constantly yes. say, what the what are you trying to protect really mm-hmm. when you're saying when you're saying I'm I'm a defender of, of faith or I'm I'm a defender of the truth? What are what are you defending? Right. If God if God is God, then Power. he's not afraid. He it shouldn't mm-hmm. be, right? Mm-hmm. then absolutely then yeah, who are you protecting what from so yeah. that's, that's just you know at the end of the day then if you really look and peer into your soul then you will figure out that you're not protecting god but then you're protecting your own name and your own power and your own absolutely existence. right and and i mean i think of when i started speaking up you know i i learned to recognize abuse through my husband and then when I went to the church to get help, I realized, oh, shit, they're treating me the same way as he did. And I kind of just kept looking a little further at the levels of abuse. But but I remember when I started talking about being silenced, you know, because I was very much silenced by very scary elders, um, you know, and then you have women pop up. Well, I've never been silenced. So you aren't being silenced. And I remember so clearly when it hit me that like, if you have nothing to say, there's no reason to silence you because you're already silenced. Mm. You know? Mm. <laughs> wow. They they count on your they count on your silence. So they don't have to do anything. They've done that. They've done that to you from the womb. Um and then you can turn around and tell me that I'm difficult, but uh, a a voice that doesn't challenge the status quo doesn't need to be silenced because it already is. Yeah. That's such a direct relation to the poem you read up front, which is like when you're not allowed to explore mm. your own sexuality. And this came up in the last episode. I'm sorry, everyone, uh, when we were talking with Daniel. Um, but uh, when you're not allowed to explore what your your own wants and needs and preferences and what I like and what I don't like, how I like to be touched, how I like to be talked to, um, then you kind of go numb and disassociate. And it's like, what do I like? And that's a pretty common thing. I, I have to say, we are through our time, but I want, oh my God. I know, isn't it? We blew through this, but I'm wondering, <laughs> is there another story that you were hoping to tell on the podcast? Or is there a family story that um, is just kind of like a, a, a MK story that you kind of go to, you know, uh, is there any, I just want to make sure that if, if there was something you wanted to talk about, we get to it. Um, How about like a fun memory? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm really not always like this in pajama. Um, this is what happens when MKs get together. We go real dark, real deep. Real I fast. know. And you can, we can still laugh safe. through the trauma. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I feel like I could talk. I feel like we just started talking, honestly. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. So just remembering like on, so fire, um, Christmas and new year's fell during the summer. Um, so I remember one Christmas, 
we were and we would all go up to like the highest part of someone's house so another missionary family had like terrace that you could go up to but then an extra little wall thing that held the water heater in it that we had to climb up a ladder to get onto the top of and um and we would ever the whole city sets off their own fireworks right so we're on this like pretty small i can't gauge size but a fair there's like 20 of us up there a fairly small like um just cement slab with no easy access down <laughs> so um i don't know what they're called but it's a box we called them balas like just bullets it was this box of like 50 and it's just bullets that shoot straight up it goes you know um so we lit it and then it tipped over and <laughs> we're trapped up here and it's shooting mm. these bullets at us yes Ooh. and we're holding like a like uh-huh. lawn chairs in front of our face and we're uh-huh. back oh. there's one wall behind us and uh, like someone took one to the face and it's all like it was super dangerous but it was yep. so fun you know then we had the you know the balloons that you light and they float away um yeah we would call those flaming balls of death because half of them would like crash in a neighbor's yard on fire and the whole city's <laughs> doing this it's just part of the like yeah. atmosphere, you know yeah <laughs> so yeah um, same thing happened in the philippines yeah yes exactly yeah i've heard other stories of that um so of course there are like of course there was trauma of course i'm now reviewing my memories in a new light but yeah. You know, we had, I had great friends, um, lots of fun, happy memories. I mean, I spent my childhood there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you take the good along with the bad. And I love, I just love the title of this podcast. Um, and I'm finally, I feel like within the last year, I've gotten to the point where like, I don't have regrets, you know, mm-hmm. which is exactly like what I choose to go through these specific things again, obviously not, but like, okay. They've happened, but they've also made me into who I am. Mm. You know, like I learned to speak truth to power because of this and this. And I learned that I fucking love art, you know, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't be who I am without all of this. So not the toxic positivity, like everything happens for a reason. But OK, shit happened. Um, You know, I can I can accept that and work on healing from it. But I don't have regrets anymore, which was a mm. huge point for me to reach. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, that's a nice note to end on. It's such a good note. Um, yeah, I uh, earlier or oh, yesterday I was hanging out with um, uh, someone that's been on the podcast a couple of times, uh, Tim. Um, we were in uh, dorm five together in boarding school in, in the Philippines, and we were trading dorm stories. And... <laughs> You know, laughing about just the stuff that's never going to show up on this podcast, guys. And, um, <laughs> and you know, we both said, you know, these are these are some of the most treasured memories that we have. But we you know, if 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 our kids asked us if we could go to if they could go to boarding school, we would say, hell no. Are you kidding me? I love you. <laughs> I love you. Right? I, would never I love you. So no. <laughs> are you kidding me? You know, uh, no, no way in hell. Um, Jen, I want to thank you for being so vulnerable. I mean, we, we jumped in real fast, real, real deep. Um, and, uh, cumin, uh, the, you know, asking for that poem on front up front was just such a, a great way to start. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, uh, cumin, what, what are your thoughts? What are your, what are your wrap, wrap up thoughts here? A call to action. 
Mm. All right, it's your turn this week. Yeah. Okay. Early on. Oh, can I give one? Oh, okay. yes. Oh, go cool. ahead. Yeah. Yes. Course, okay. Jen. I yes, just thought yes. of it. Okay. okay. So, um, it revolved because so much of what happened to it, like we were never taught consent, right? Um, we were taught about grace and forgiveness and submission, but never consent. Um, so one thing, and I'm actually working on a big project I'm super excited about surrounding that, but what my call to action would be a tiny change in how we phrase asking for consent that to me drastically, it puts the power in the hands of the person being asked. So normally like, um, cumin, if you were going to ask Caleb, if you could kiss him, what would Mm -hmm. you say? Like, how would you phrase that? And I kiss you. Right. Okay. So who is centered in that? Me. You. So now the the person mm. being being asked is going, well, he wants to do this. And you can yeah. so easily answer with, okay, or sure. Right. Anyhow, what if we asked, would you like me to kiss you right now? Mm. Would you like me to hug? And I do this with my kids. Like I used to say, hey, can I give you a hug? Mm. Well, now I'm the, per- I'm, in, I'm the person in authority going, mommy wants to hug you. Mm-hmm. instead of giving you a second and now you can answer yeah i'd love a hug yes i'd love for you to kiss me right now instead of um and it's just it's so simple but it's radically changed how i mm-hmm. teach my kids about consent and you know i've navigated the dating world and all of that um so yeah would you like this instead of can i do this to you uh, yeah. that is my call to action let's try let's try changing how we ask for consent Mm. Oh, bam. that's awesome. Cumin, would awesome. you like to be kissed? <laughs> Let's think I about love that. that. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a more um, gentle way yes, to yes. to approach that that really um, uh, you know, gives the other person bodily autonomy and, yes. and preference. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's such a small. And the thing is, like, it's such a small um uh, intentional change that it means everything. Yeah, totally. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Um, this has been a blast. I could talk for hours long. It's so funny guys, when you get into a room and we're not in a room, we're on a zoom call with no video. Um, and, uh, when you get around other MKs, the stories start flowing, the jokes start coming. And usually the jokes involve a lot of trauma. Um, (laughs) And and I, I wanted to keep going, but our our time is up, y'all. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you guys yeah. so much. I had a blast. Hey, one um, of these days we might start Patreon, and to our loyal guests, we may give you a two-hour show. Who knows? <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. I'll start planning. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's what we want to do. We want to start turning our our friends' pain into profit that's the Amazing. whole totally. goal of this photo <laughs> i knew <Yeah>. it <laughs> okay on the count of oh. three. Oh One. no i cannot say go vanguards y'all i'm so sorry that <laughs> oh it's okay it's okay it's okay <laughs> One, how, about, how about go consent okay go okay, consent. Let's do that. all right okay, let's okay. do that yeah well, let's do that on the count of three. Okay. One, two, three. Go, go consent, consent. Go consent. <laughs> Final destination We stopped asking directions Some places they
oh, I figured out um, what, da oh, what was it Daniel? Yeah, what Daniel would have said. Um, he would have used the word excitado, which is excited. Let's get hyped. Let's get excited. Except in Spanish, excitado exclusively means um, sexually excited. So, yes, he told everybody to get sexually excited with him. <laughs> Which reminded me of the time I was studying in France and told my friends there that my dad was currently in Brazil doing his mistress instead of doing his master's. So, man, I could have told so many more language faux pas. Anyhow, next time, friends. Jen was trying to rack her brain when she was talking with us uh, about what Daniel, our guest from last week, who's also fluent in Spanish, may have said to an entire crowd to tell them to get horny. Um, <laughs> she called us later, left this voice message from the car uh, because she finally figured it out. <laughs> well done, Jen. <laughs>